Alignment can be challenging at a tech company for many reasons, including everyone is moving extremely fast and arguably faster than ever before because our software is continuously improving. Instilling a feeling of ownership by assigning metrics may have the unintended side effect of people acting more territorial. And founders are sometimes managing people for the first time and haven't yet built the skills or confidence to align them. Generating alignment can be even more challenging when folks aren't interacting in person, but there are many benefits to hiring people remotely, which have been well-documented over the past couple of years. So we need to figure out how to align these remote teams more effectively. Tony Jamus is the founder and CEO of Oyster, which is an enablement platform for distributed teams. In this conversation, we spoke about how to leverage a learning development or L&D team to align new hires on your company's ways of working, how to prepare in advance for meetings in order to reduce meeting time, and how to align people on goals rather than superficial inputs. For example, what constitutes an acceptable quote-unquote workday? Tony is a sharp thinker and shares some provocative ideas. I hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I did and feel free to reach out to me with any thoughts. Let's dive in. Tony, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. I'm really excited to chat with you about remote work and remote leadership, which I know is a topic that's near and dear to your heart. I'm especially excited to talk with you about it now because as I've mentioned in previous newsletters and podcast episodes, every founder or CEO that I talk to is just knee deep in trying to figure out how to hire amazing people quickly and how to engage and retain them You know, once they've been hired. Remote work is a really interesting potential solution to that problem, I think, for a variety of reasons. And you've been at the forefront of thinking about it. So thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you, Alison, for having me here on, on, on the podcast. And, and hello, everyone. And yes, right, you're right. Uh, better leadership is, 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 is uh, more important than ever today uh, as we, as we uh, go towards a new, better future work. So I'm, I'm glad to talk about it. So if I'm a founder and I'm not already convinced that remote work is an interesting angle, why should I be thinking about it? We have to look at this question holistically. So, so remote work is, it has, has been proven that it's better for business, it's better for people and better for the planet. And let me just start with the planet first. Let's get this. We are pouring uh, four times the equivalent of a New York City in building urban areas every year on this planet. And people that don't have the choice then to live and work in cities are having a miserable life, quality of life. That's not sustainable. So we have to, today with knowledge work, and there are 1.5 billion knowledge workers coming into the workforce in the next 10 years, we have an unprecedented opportunity to thrive towards a more distributed future of this planet and more sustainable future of this planet. So first, we owe it to the planet to stop putting dense people in densely populated areas. Secondly, it is better for people because we've heard it loud and clear. People want flexible options of work. They want to have the freedom to work from anywhere. And they want to have the flexibility to balance their work and their life. My team, my Oyster, we, have, we, are, we are a tech company and we have 60% women in the company. My leadership team is 50% women with children and they are doing their best jobs and growing the business because we give them that opportunity to not compromise between their life and their work. 
So, and that's just as one example. We are, we are a team from 60 countries. We work around the, we have follow the sun program of working asynchronously. People in Indonesia can decide uh, to work different ships. Like I live in Cyprus. I moved to Cyprus. I live this in this beautiful island in the Mediterranean and I don't work in the morning. I work in the afternoon and in the evening. In the morning, I spend time with my uh, two toddlers and I can deal with, I can do my exercise. I can do whatever I need to do. And uh, in the evening when I'm working, everybody is sleeping. So I'm not missing out on that opportunity to be present with my family. And it works well for me. So it is better for people. And it's also better for your business because distributed work enables you to create the most diverse workforce you can imagine. And we know that diversity is better for business. We know that uh, it gives you higher performance. And so there are definitely, uh, and we can talk about it in more details. I mean, the, you can create a stronger culture. We have 90% plus engagements in Oyster. This is top three percentile of all the VC-backed companies. And we don't have an office. We don't have an office. It's about belonging and not presence. Uh, you said that really well. And there's a lot in there that I want to respond to. You know, I think in particular, your point about how remote work is better for people, in part because if they have families, it's quite easy for them to be close to them. You know, just before we started recording, you and I were talking about our kids and how, you know, we both had babies in the last couple of years. And, you know, for me, having a one-year-old at home, it's incredibly helpful to be able to end my Zoom call walk outside, you know, my home office and maybe just give her a hug and like play with her a bit. And, and on top of that, not having to spend time commuting back and forth, which is time that I could be spending with my family. So yeah, I found remote work to be a huge like quality of life improvement. It is more human. Think about your children. They're going to grow up with a different relationship to their parents because their parents were much closer to them physically and emotionally. Obviously, obviously you need to have the context to work in an environment that can provide that flexibility and protect that flexibility. But, but if, if that's correct, if that's possible, then you are completely changing the relationship between parents and children. Like we are not supposed to go commute and, and work 40 miles away from home. Like we used to work, we used to live in the tribe. We used to be uh, very close to our children. We used to carry our children everywhere we go. Uh, I don't know to how, like we work is not necessarily good for bonding with your children and, and they need, they, they need you. I need you to be present to them. Absolutely. So, you know, I think a lot of folks, especially after the last couple of years, have seen many of the benefits of remote work. They've been able to move to incredible places where their quality of life is better. They've probably benefited the planet, as you said, in many of these cases in doing so. But certainly there are also challenges in adjusting to remote work. I'm sure you could list many of them, but one of the things that comes to mind is you know, when you are hiring people in many different locations, and, and this is true even before people actually work remotely, it can be challenging to bring people together when they have many different cultures. You know, they're coming from many different contexts. And I think remote work brings the notion of a distributed company to like an even deeper degree because you're not even necessarily bringing people together in offices around the world. You know, people are working from their own like individual locations and contexts. So let's start with the challenge of creating unity across this team. Clearly, you said you've achieved a, a team engagement score of 90. Is that, is that net promoter score? Uh, no, that's... Uh... To be honest, I don't know exactly what it is. I know we, we use a, a platform called Culture Amp that is like yes. leader in and give us lots of statistics. And, and the key is really top, we're like top 3% of VC backed companies. 
And it's amazing that you've been able to reach that and shows you're really walking the talk. Like, how are you able to create this kind of unity and engagement across a remote team? I think first is we're all aligned around the mission of the business. So being a mission-driven company first, before, before being a software company or before being an HR tech company, go a long way in, uh, in attracting people that want to make a difference. They are here to deliver impact and, uh, and, and that, that, that's very unique. My previous company, my previous, my first company, this is my second company as an entrepreneur, what was a, was a, 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 a vision driven company. Uh, this company is a mission driven company and I can see the engagement levels is off charts. Uh, and, um, uh, secondly is a unified way of, of working together. We call them the tools and the rules, uh, that we, we train people on. We have our unique approach of asynchronous work that we, we have training around it. And we, so essentially we enable people to be successful, no matter where they are, uh, that, that, that we designed that specifically to, to create uh, opportunity for people, no matter where they are through systems and tools and, and rules around it and training. We have, we offer them training. We have the Oyster Academy where we train them on it. And actually it's even uh, available for everybody. We train people on becoming better remote worker and we train uh, HR people to deliver that within their companies. And thirdly, it's about very, being very clear about what success look like. And, uh, we have. Uh, and we have the infrastructure to be able to measure it across the company. We have a, an OKR, objective key result process that is, uh, that is, uh, that is equivalent to a company of 10 times our size. So we have over invested in, uh, the systems that, that, that measures performance and, and define performance from a company level to an individual level. And, and, and we run that process like a clock, uh, because we want people to uh, know what success is. Success is not your presence at this hour of the day on Slack. You, uh, success is not responding immediately to an important to a Slack message. You know, success is not is not uh, showing up at the office. Success is about results. And uh, so 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 uh, and you know everything I'm telling you here is not like specific to remote companies. This is good companies. Like the difference is that if you are in the office. You could get away from not being great on these things. Being a remote company forces you uh, to be to be great at these uh, leadership and, and management processes. And that's why it will make you more successful. Yes, it is interesting how it, yeah, it's a forcing function to do the things that probably we should have been doing all along. The behavior change, I think, associated with moving to a common way of working can be challenging, although I think it's extremely admirable. And, and I think you're really exemplary and trying to really specify, here's how we work at our company. I know one of the companies that I work with, they're really into using Notion as their platform for communicating about and writing out decisions. So anytime they need to make a decision, there is a certain set of Notion documents they create. There's a certain voting mechanism they have to get different people's input on a Notion doc. They run their project plans out of it. Everything is housed in Notion. I think it works really well. But I also know when they hire new people, often those people are accustomed to showing up to a meeting with a PowerPoint deck. So they've done all this preparation, but it's been in PowerPoint form. And then they go to present it and it doesn't quite resonate, but it's what they're used to doing. And it's sort of incumbent on the CEO to say, hey, you can't show up to a meeting with PowerPoint. You needed to send out the Notion deck a few days in advance. It's hard, especially when you're hiring so many people very quickly to sort of say, this is how we're doing it and kind of lay down the law. And it's also, it's hard for people to adjust to that as well. So how do you 
inculcate that kind of adaptability in new hires? So I think one, so it comes from the top, that part of the responsibility that everybody on my team is to be the best remote worker in their team. So, which means that I need to be the best remote worker in the company as a CEO of the company. So it starts from the top and uh, obviously I'm not, not going to be the, ever reach that point, but it's a journey, continuous improvement and, and being open to investing not only in getting the result of the business, but also how we're going to do the business. Okay. So the, the what and the how are, are part of the job of my leaders. And, uh, and they need to model the way for their team members. They need to be the best remote worker in their teams. Uh, that's, so that's number one. Number two is, um, is to really continue to evolve these tools and rules. So you mentioned Notion. We use Notion as well. We use like five different other tools, uh, Slack, uh, for asynchronous uh, communication. We use Zoom for, for synchronous. We use Loom for asynchronous videos. We use, uh, Google Docs for, for Google Suites for, 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 um, collaboration uh, and then when it becomes mature we move it into notion where notion is is really the set the we build our internal documentation like we're building a product for the customer right the same the same kind of uh, we have a, a, t- a team that is called uh, part of our work-based team that's called remote work operations that that build these infrastructure and 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 uh and evolve them and just take for instance my my leadership team we have to be the best remote team in the company again, because everybody is trying to be the best remote worker in their team. So we have like my one-to-ones with my teams. We never talk about the updates. Every Tuesday, I have two hours on my calendar where I watch videos from my team about updating me on the last week. I spend two hours a week and I know everything that happened in my company. And I would be, you know, sipping a cocktail on in front of a beach in, in, in Cyprus. So, 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 uh, and, and our leadership team meeting we adopt obviously a lot of asynchronous way of collaboration. So 80% of the meeting has happened before the meeting because people have updated asynchronously with the documentation, with the Loom videos. Uh, we have different type of meetings. This is a decision meeting. It's uh, information. So, so we're, uh, we're, we're evolving how we, we, we work together, but we, we achieve level of efficiencies and flexibilities that I've never seen in any business before. I'm so grateful that remote work inspired more asynchronous communication and preparation for meetings. It's so refreshing, I think, for me and also for a number of the founders I work with to come to a meeting. Everyone is super prepared. They've already done the really deep thinking. The meeting only has to be 30 minutes or less because of that. But on that note, it's sort of funny that we have this default assumption that a meeting needs to last 30 minutes or an hour because actually if you've used the tech stack in the way that you've described and done the deep thinking, you don't necessarily have to follow those old school ways of scheduling meetings. That meeting might just take 15 minutes and that's all you need, then great. Thinking about helping people adapt to this really thoughtful way of working, do you have a learning and development organization or do you see other companies benefiting from hiring internal learning and development folks? I guess they could be called enablement folks in some cases. Yeah, I mean, we because of what we do as a global employment platform, we even we have this Oyster Academy program uh, that we have a team working on it that we develop content, learning and development content around remote work, not only for our own workers, but for every worker in the world. Our mission is to is to enable anybody to be a better remote worker and, and have the world as their oyster when they're looking for a job, especially from emerging economies. And then we even have a program that trains the people operation leaders within this organization to deliver the remote core training and adapted to their organization. And we 
many of our, our customers, uh, the, the customers that are adopting remote work, are uh, we we intervene on on advising them on some of these policies. Our uh, chief uh, workplace officer, uh, Mark, who who was, who was this chief people officer at Envision, was like a remote company before remote was a thing, and he has twenty years of experience building and scaling distributed teams. So we we kind of really built the best experts on that subject in the company to help because the more our customers adopt distributed way of working, the more they're going to hire people across countries. So for us, it's in our best interest to help our customers uh, make people successful no matter where they are. It's really interesting that your internal learning and development group, which I think you call your academy team, is serving your internal needs, but then also serving the needs of the community. I think that's really smart. And I know other companies that have had internal training teams that are also customer training teams. It's similar in a way. I'm sure there are a lot of people listening to the podcast who would benefit from seeing that content. Do you mind sharing where should they go if they want to learn more? So if they go to oysterhr.com and there is a resource section there, specifically they can zoom in on the Oyster Academy or the Oyster Library where they have everything they need to improve their remote work capabilities. I want to chat a little bit more about how the nature of work changes in a remote context. One of the things that I'm writing in depth about now is this notion of talent efficiency, you know, and how we can be more efficient with the scarcest resource that we have as companies, which is no longer capital. It's actually talent. It's the people that we're bringing on board or trying to bring on board. You know, in a world where talent efficiency matters, you can imagine there being rapidly changing norms about what a workday looks like, how many hours people are working, FaceTime, or, you know, that doesn't really even mean anything in a, in a remote context, but maybe it's time on Slack, which you kind of alluded to before. What do you think a typical team members they should look like in a remote work context? I have to admit, Addison, I don't think that's the right question. I love that. Yeah, challenge me on it. Yeah. I mean, if we say we truly believe in flexible work and all we care about is the results, we don't care what you do during the work, during the day, in, in theory, right? I mean, that's a theory. Now, of course, there's, I think there's a gap to get there. And I think, I think people, if you want to increase efficiency, you want to, you want to make sure that people know what they need, what's, what efficiency is. You know, they need, they need to, they need to understand what this expectation, what's expected from them to deliver what good looks like. And as we discussed earlier is to have very specific uh, system and processes around measuring results and enabling people to achieve these results. I think that would have the biggest boost for efficiency. And I think it would depend because, because also if you're depends on your how asynchronous versus synchronous you are in your business. And again, I don't have a religious view of how much async versus sync. I think it's the answer is it depends on the type of business you do. Let's say if you are in a very creative work and you need to collaborate through brainstorming, maybe synchronous work should be high on your list. But if you're developing a software, working more async makes much more sense. So really it depends on what you do as a business and the task at hand. But in knowledge work, the more async we see, the more efficiency we see, assuming you have these uh, systems that are enable you to measure performance well, but also enable work across time zones. Uh, so documentation is, 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 is a critical aspect of that. First of all, I totally agree with you that a typical workday should no longer be the norm. But I am sort of asking you, I think, these maybe like slightly naive questions because I really want to hear you challenge the current consensus about what work should look like. For example, I think most companies implicitly, even if they're not conscious of it, they set goals based on 
how much work they think someone can do. It's kind of like a workload-based way of determining what outcomes are good or not. So even if you're focused on people achieving outcomes, you might say, well, I think they can only achieve X, Y, Z outcome because otherwise they'd be working 70 hours a week. That's not the kind of culture that we want. So sometimes like a team member will say, well, look, this goal that you've set for me is not possible because I'm already overburdened with these other things. So how do you move away from a workload-based driven way of setting goals? So the problem we're trying to solve is at least the problem we're trying to solve at Oyster is, is your workload too much for you so that work becomes an issue in your life? That's the question we're trying to solve because we believe that we want to create, like work shouldn't be a place where you burn out. Work shouldn't be a place where you go and have fears and your anxiety get triggered. Like we want to minimize that. Okay. We want to do less harm, no harm as much as possible. So we have to create the safe environment for people. And by the way, when I get, when I get new joiners in my team that are coming from other companies, they just, they come with that trauma that they've accumulated from previous organizations. And like, for me, like, I don't want to be remembered as a CEO who, who made people's life miserable. Like, I, just, I don't want to do this. So the question becomes in terms of answering that question of workload is what are the way to measure if work is impacting negatively people's life? So we have, uh, obviously engagement surveys or we, that we do them on a regular basis. We get much more granular view on that. And actually, uh, in Q3 last year, we did have to slow down certain things in the business because workload reached a certain level that was not sustainable. And secondly, we also have daily check-ins. I have, we, we use an app called Kona that is on, on Slack, that every team in my team, I know how people are feeling and they can add some comments and we have like dashboard that it's like a taking the pulse around how people are feeling. And if we see a dip, like what happened in when the war in Ukraine in the last few days, we saw a dip in that because obviously wars traumatize everybody, even if you're not in a war. So th this is how we, how we, how we manage it. And I want to say what my job as a CEO is to, is to balance three variables in the business, growth, customer satisfaction and employee well-being and engagement. I call it the golden triangle of, of hyper-growth. So we cannot, if we grow too much in one variable, we create an imbalance and we have to slow down somewhere in the business. And we had to do it in country last year because we, the well-being of our team was taking, was taking actually in, in the customer onboarding. We got too much demand that we had, we had to slow down our business uh, to, three to, to be able to get some automation projects kicked in and hire a bit more people. I mean, that's, a, I think, a really thoughtful way of ensuring that team members are engaged. And it, it sounds like it certainly paid off for you, right, in, in terms of like these engagement scores that are really top three percentile for companies like you. I am wondering about the opposite scenario where people are not working hard. So let's say that I'm you know, an exceptionally skilled team member and I'm able to get done in three hours what someone else might be able to get done in eight or 10 hours. Is it okay for me to only work a three hour work day? Why do you keep asking me these challenging questions, Alice? <laughs> My workplace team has now some sort of social media monitoring process on me because I, sometimes I say things that doesn't align with what we're trying to do internally. <laughs> but like my opinion on this is that we, uh, we should stop thinking about this, right? I mean, like we should, we should not even check on that. I don't even check on my team if they're working at this hour anymore or how many hours they work. I just check on how they feel. I care about how they feel working with me. That's what I check on. Yeah, it's a totally different measure. Yeah, it's so funny how ingrained this notion of time at work is and how much value I think people, again, even unconsciously place on it. We have these notions called the work day 
and hourly rates for how we pay people. And even our calendar, like often on Google Calendar, like you've just sort of set the times when like you're available. And I think the default might be something like nine to five, you know. So it's just interesting, I think, how much of a mindset shift remote work can be if you really allow yourself to think deeply about it. I know you've written and, and spoke a lot about what it means to be an excellent leader in a remote environment. You've talked a little bit about that so far, but what other best practices would you recommend to the founders and executives out there? One of the areas that we, we had to focus on at Oyster is building trust intentionally because it's harder to do in a, in a distributed environment. Uh, you miss out on the physical cues, send people signals that this person is trusting me or not. And so we we, we have a number of techniques that we specific, I specifically use that, that helps me to build the trust, but actually it's not enough. I always feel that it's not enough. We got together once team in the last two years. And after that in-person meeting, we had a boost of, 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 of trust as well in the team. So I think it's a combination of two. Trust, I think it's, uh, you can do 13 things. I do this check-in meetings, hard for them, heartbeat meetings on my team. Because we don't talk about the result. The result has already been given to me asynchronously, checking on how they feel and how, how I can help them. But I think the trust requires a combination of in-person and, and uh, deliberate asynchronous remote work techniques. That's kind of number one. Number two is to, as, as I mentioned earlier, is create that safety in the team where, where the psychological safety for them to not being afraid of failing, not being afraid of taking risks, not being afraid of how they look, if they say something. And that's a continuous work I do, but essentially the, the key technique here is to, uh, is to understand what do you need to do not to trigger people's fears and anxieties, right? So it's like, it's a continuous understanding of the person's strengths and weaknesses and not necessarily put them in position that can be triggering for them, especially in a context of, uh, of a team. I mean, there's other techniques, but this is a new technique that I'm trying to experiment with. And lastly, it's really about giving maximum empowerment to the team. So essentially remove yourself as much as possible from the way and know when you want to give a bit more guidance or not. So kind of it becomes a, you have to sense if you need to come and be a bit more prescriptive sometimes or not. So uh, really understanding that fine line, like you don't want to be overly prescriptive and take your ego out of the equation as much as possible. I know you've been a big proponent of remote work generally, but I think you've also been a proponent of hiring people internationally, which is a slightly different thing. So can you talk about it? If I'm a founder, why should I be hiring people around the world? Number one is diversity. You cannot imagine how much diversity you build at Oyster. We, are, we come from, uh, we talked about the gender numbers, but we also talked about, uh, there's also a number of countries that we've hired from, different background, different nationality, different religion, different race. I mean, like you can continue. I mean, it's like, it's a, it's a planetary company from that sense. There's no dominant like for diversity to work, you cannot have, uh, you want to be really careful managing a dominant characteristic in diversity he, here. Like you, it's, it's as diverse as the planet. So we're, we're very, very happy about that. So one is, is diversity. Secondly is impact because especially if you hire people from emerging economies, you're going to become, especially if you use platform like Oyster, you're going to become one of the best employers that they will ever dream working for in that country. And not only are you going to create a high level of engagement and retention, but you take any business and you make it a mission-driven business just by adopting a global hiring strategy and specifically hiring people from emerging economies. You can change people's life. Our company in the future will be one of the biggest foreign direct investors shifting capital from north to south because today we have 25% of the hires on our platform in emerging economies. We expect that to continue to increase. And we expect the gap 
of pay for similar roles uh, between North and South to continue to close down over time, especially in high demand jobs such as R&D telemarketing. Hiring globally enables you to become a mission-driven company just by hiring globally. And I would say thirdly, maybe, maybe the most obvious one for a business owner is you hire the best people because the probability of the best talents that you want to hire is in 10 kilometers radius around your office is 0.1% of the available talent out there. So if you want to dramatically increase, like our customers, they are growing faster than their competitors because they were able to tap into the global talent pool. So it gives you a superpower in, in talent accessibility. With everything awful that's going on in Ukraine, I wonder and I, I fear that there might be kind of a contraction that folks have where they're like, oh, you know, there's instability globally. Maybe we should be hiring people only locally. What would you say to founder that's sort of heading in that direction? When you have high volatility, I think people start taking less risk. I think that what we've seen, I do believe that whatever happens to the economy, whether it's upward or downward cycle, the global hiring will continue. The trend will continue because even if you're trying to reduce costs, you want to probably go and hire in cheaper location. And uh, although we hope, we hope these salaries continue to go up over time and we want to be influencing that towards an upward trend of salaries in, in these economies. I don't think the argument of, you know, there's a slowdown in economy we have to hire locally is, I think that that logical link is actually, uh, nothing prevents you, even if there is a slowdown economy, to build a distributed organization and have a remote organization that is higher. It is better for your business, it's better for your people, and it's better for the planet. doesn't matter if there's a war or not. Just do it. Love that. All right, Tony. So on, on a brighter note, I would love to know, what are the top locations that you're seeing people relocate to because they can work remotely? I know you're in Cyprus right now, a beautiful place. What are the other beautiful locations you would suggest that people move to? The employment corridors are that we see U.S. companies or North American companies hiring in Latin America or hiring in Europe. European companies hiring in Europe or hiring in the US, and we see India also emerging, and we see this 25% in emerging economies, which is great. But I don't know this exotic location. Like we don't really see that much. Actually, uh, I don't see that much. Maybe there is in the numbers, but they, they, I don't see them much. Oh, it sounds like people are not taking advantage enough of the opportunity to be in, in gorgeous places. Maybe that's a call to action for folks: is go find that beautiful beach or lake or mountain that you know you can work on and make the next phase of your career there. Yes. Tony, thank you so much for joining us today. This is a fun conversation with, I think, a lot of provocative insights, and I know people will really enjoy it. Thank you, Addison, for having me here. 